National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. The Register has a new editor-in-chief. EWTN announced last month that Shannon Mullen will be leading the 95-year-old National Catholic Register. Shannon joins us to talk about his dedication to journalism and his mission in Catholic media. We also talk with Register Senior Editor Jonathan Liedel about his recent trip to Israel, the highlights of pilgrimage, but also the ongoing strife in the region. And lastly, we take another look at conflicting concepts of synod that continue to cause tension in the church. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News' Executive Editor. Hi, Matthew. Hello. Great to be with you. We're very excited about uh, Shannon moving to the Register. But uh, before that, we have a little bit of business, I think, you and I, because you've had a title change. (laughs) That's right. I I couldn't let that go, right? So for a while, I've been juggling this executive director of the National Catholic Register as well as editor-in-chief, but handing that over to Shannon, which I'm very grateful to do. But a little over a week ago, EWTN News announced that I'll be overseeing both the Register and CNA, so Catholic News Agency, as executive director. Uh, So that's a big task, bringing on a a team under my executive uh, direction there from Catholic News Agency. But um, I'm thrilled because we just have good good editorial team on on both sides, on on the register side, which I've worked with for a long time, but also on uh, CNA's side. So I'm happy to talk to Shannon, who'll be uh, taking my position of editor-in-chief for the Register uh, in the next segment. But but first, we'll talk to another one of our uh, teammates, Jonathan Liedel, who's our senior editor, and he recently returned from the Holy Land. Uh, so, Jonathan, welcome back to U.S. Soil, and I'm excited to hear about this trip that was uh, both pilgrimage but also um, uh, reporting. How are you? I'm doing well. Great, great to be back, Jeanette and Matthew. So I know that um, part of this trip was um, uh, to promote, in a way, the tourism um, that is now returning to Israel. I know that my parish uh, here in Louisiana has already had one trip since COVID um, over there, bringing pilgrims over, and and there's another scheduled for later this year. So um, there really is pilgrimage starting back up to the Holy Land, which I think is good news for for Christians, and it's good news for the Holy Land. What struck you about your trips uh, this year? Yeah, I, well, I think, you know, Christians have been making pilgrimage to the Holy Land um, ever since St. Helena went there and, and found the True Cross so for over 1,600 years. But I think what struck me is that even though there's that long history of pilgrimage, and we all know, you know, the most famous sites, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Basilica of the Annunciation, there are new things being discovered, new things being unearthed, and new things being opened up to the public uh, that I think are of interest to to Christians and, and others uh, who visit the Holy Land. So just a couple ones that really kind of uh, impressed me when I, uh, when we were given kind of a sneak peek access as journalists mm-hmm. to check out what's going on. Um, but in, in Jerusalem, uh, in the part of Jerusalem that's known as the City of David, which is actually outside of the old city walls to the southeast, but it's the kind of original Jewish settlement in Jerusalem, they are uncovering right now uh, what they call the Pilgrim's Path or the Pilgrim Road. So it leads from the Pool of Siloam 
all the way up to the Temple Mount. So this would have been, if you were a Jewish person coming to Jerusalem uh, on pilgrimage to make sacrifice, you would enter the city in the south, you would uh, ritually purify yourself in the pool, and then you would walk these 800 meters up uh, to the Temple Mount and, and offer sacrifice there. And of course, uh, as Christians, you know, the Pool of Siloam is referenced in Scripture. Christ uh, heals the man born blind by by rubbing clay on his eyes and then sending him to the pool to watch, to wash. So it's it's you know I think for both Jewish people an opportunity to kind of retrace uh, what their forebears in faith did two thousand years ago, but also for Christians uh, because our faith, of course, is intertwined and emerged from the Jewish faith um, to be in that place where Christ. Uh, himself walked and ministered. Um, so it's all underground right now, and there's 50 meters to be excavated wow. still of the 800 meter road from the pool up the Temple Mount. And I think they told me it, it costs about a hundred thousand dollars to excavate one meter, uh, and it, it takes you know a week to two weeks to do that as well. So slow progress, but uh, but sure progress. And so we're nearing the completion of that. And then one other thing to mention. Um, not in Jerusalem, but up near Galilee. And this is actually really fitting because last in last week's gospel, uh, when Christ talked about Christians being the salt and the light of the world, he talks about uh, th- that city on a hill, right? That city on a hill um, that can't be hidden. And actually in Galilee, there at the time of Christ, there was one city on a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and it's called Hippos. And uh, scripture scholars believe that Jesus was likely visually pointing to hippos at the time of mm-hmm. of making this comparison. Um, and so this is something that's been discovered uh, for 100 years, uh, about in 1895. But it right now uh, has really, in the past 20 years, experienced a lot of attention, a lot of excavation. They've discovered um, eight different churches. It was one, it had a cathedral, was the seat of a bishop. It's actually the place where the demoniac, uh, if, we, if we remember the gospel account of the man who the, the legion of demons was driven out of and into the pigs, he was likely from Hippos. And so when Christ tells him, don't come with me, but go back you know, to your family, to your community, and tell them what God has done for you, he likely went to Hippos. So it's just incredible, you know, after 1,600 years of pilgrimage, um, that we're still discovering these places in the Holy Land that are you know, of relevance uh, to Christians and other believers that just help us connect with our faith that is Absolutely. incarnational, Jesus Christ, to happen in time and history. So great right. opportunities. You just bring it very visually in, with your words, so I appreciate that, that description that, that you've given us right here. Matthew, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, it is often said, or said by many biblical scholars, that uh, when you have a chance to visit the Holy Land as you have, that you will never read Scripture in quite mm. the same way again, having been able to mm-hmm. walk where our Lord did. Uh, have you had that experience coming back now? Are you much more attentive, for example, to the Scripture readings in Mass? Yeah, I think absolutely, in two ways that I can think of. Because I went to Jerusalem once before, but did not have the chance to travel as much as I did this time. But really, the Sea of Galilee, right? We read that in Scripture, and we're like, you know, okay, it's a sea, so it's pretty big. But I'm in Minnesota, and the Sea of Galilee is not only a lot smaller than the Great Lakes, but it's smaller than Lake Malak, right? So it's it's a really big lake, is what it is. But really, to to be there, actually to drive around the lake, it takes one hour to kind of circumvent it by car, but you really saw 
how Christ was ministering to all these different villages and communities on the Sea of Galilee. You see why transportation by boat was so important, um, why these metaphors and images of fish and all the other things that mattered to the people there would have been used. And then I think going back to Jerusalem, uh, you know, if you've been there, uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where where both Jesus was crucified, but then also it contains um, where he was buried and where he rose from the dead, it's kind of in the middle of the current walled city. And so you're kind of like, how does that make any sense? But I think mm-hmm. going back and taking the time to learn the history and to see how Jerusalem, the, the city has really moved and kind of evolved and shifted and how actually historical findings repeatedly affirm the veracity of scripture and, and tradition of these ancient Christian traditions uh, of holding these different places to be significant, significant in the life of Jesus. So yeah, Matthew, absolutely. I think going there really just helps it bring it, bring it home on a whole nother level. Well, I think something else was brought home on a whole different level, and that is the tensions there. Even while you were there, I remember just reaching out and saying, Jonathan, everything okay? I did see that there were shootings. Uh, This was January 28th, and there was a shooting at a synagogue there, uh, killing seven Israelis and, and wounding five others. And uh, this was this is something they experience very frequently. Are these tensions? What what could you make of that being on the ground? Yeah, I think exactly right, Jeanette. I think it's so common and frequent throughout the, the contemporary history of Israel that um, you know a, a shooting at a synagogue or the previous incursion into Palestine that killed nine people. There there didn't seem to be on the ground heightened tension or military presence, because I think it's just always in a state of tension and military presence um, in Israel right now. So, yeah, I think, you know, it was interesting how even archaeology I discovered um, is very political right now. Uh, So the Pool of Siloam, uh, to excavate that, uh, required um, sort of dispossessing some Palestinian Arabs. And so even archaeology in a a place like the Holy Land is always going to be wrapped up in politics. Um, It's been increasingly difficult for Christians as well, Uh, especially these past few years. The current government of Israel, which is headed by uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who, you know, has held that role before, but his cabinet, uh, the coalition that that he was involved with to get elected, um, definitely has elements of kind of, if you will, far-right Zionists. So those who really feel like Israel is only for Jewish people. And so Patriarch Pier Batista Pizzaballa, who's the, the Latin patriarch in Jerusalem, and other Christian leaders have really warned um, that Christians, who now only make up 1% of the population of the Holy Land, it was 10% in 1948 when the modern state of Israel was founded, but down to 1% now, and they warn that they're they're really losing um, any kind of presence in Jerusalem, in the Holy Land, mm-hmm. um, being pushed out. Actually, the day I left, after I left, um, there was the news that uh, a Jewish person from America who was visiting Israel actually desecrated a, a statue of Christ at the Church of the Flagell- Flagellation in, in the heart of Jerusalem. So these kinds of attacks are kind of more common, both on Christian religious sites, but also on Christian communities and restaurants. And even though the Israeli government is officially opposed to them, there's this sense that they're they're kind of allowing these Zionist groups to to carry them out um, without without much restriction. So yeah, definitely a very tense time, uh, as always in in the Middle East, but with a special relevance for uh, our Christian brothers and sisters there. We've been talking to Jonathan Liedel, Senior Editor at The Register. This is Register Radio, and I'm Jeanette DeMello. We're going to keep Jonathan on for a few minutes. Jonathan, I did want to ask you about the Synod on Synodality. 
Um, some of the latest news related to that right now, uh, currently in Europe, uh, during these days, there's a continental assembly of the Synod. Um, the, the meetings are still taking place as we're talking and, and through the weekend. Um, uh, and soon the United States will be in the similar kind of continental phase where there'll be gatherings uh, and eventually synthesis documents will be created for uh, the Synod of Bishops that will take place in Rome. And, and here in the United States over the last week, this um, some tensions have kind of picked up. There seems to be polarization uh, in many aspects of the world and, and even in the church. Uh, so Cardinal Robert McElroy of San Diego kind of lit up an exchange of opinions uh, this past week among U.S. bishops when he published a piece calling for the Synod on Synodality to create a space for, quote, radical inclusion in the church. So... Jonathan, we don't have a ton of time to get into this today. There's a lot of information on our website, but can you give us a summary of what Bishop McElroy said and how others that you've been talking to or others who have published um, responses, how has it, the exchange gone? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you're, you're right, Jeanette, that as we move into this continental stage of the Synod, we see people jockeying for position or really trying to define what the Synod is. So I think that's how to interpret Cardinal McEnroy's article. So his call for radical inclusion, um, I think, of course, the church wants to be uh, inclusive in the sense of inviting all people uh, to be part of the body of Christ, to convert and embrace the gospel as Christ instructs us. But Cardinal McElroy, I think, really kind of set off some alarm bells for some people by, by what he meant by inclusion. And I think a couple real instances quickly. Um, he said in order to include women, to not uh, unjustly exclude women from the life of the church, uh, that we need to move forward with ordaining them to the diaconate, which he said there are no theological or doctrinal obstacles to, um, which is a highly contentious uh, claim. Um, and he also said that the, the question of women uh, being ordained to the priesthood is going to be a live question uh, for the Synod in, of Bishops in Rome in 2023 and 2024. Um, and then on the question of uh, of uh, sexual relations and sexual sin, he basically, um, he, he would say he didn't, wasn't calling for a change in doctrine, but a change in pastoral discipline, by really just allowing people <clears throat> who are wrapped up in different forms of sexual sin in their life um, to to come uh, to receive the Eucharist, and we should stop be, we should stop discriminating people along those lines, which I think a lot of people are concerned. Um, is a sort of practical way of changing doctrine um, by kind of ignoring it. Um, so he's been responded to by a number of people, a number of lay people, a number of theologians, but I think, uh, you know, especially bishops, it's always significant when bishops in public are are arguing with each other or calling each other to task. And so a, a few bishops have responded to Cardinal McElroy, perhaps not directly by name, but certainly in response to his ideas. So Bishop Barron, wrote that uh, inclusivity, as is being discussed in the context of the Synod, is being used in an ambiguous way um, that runs the risk of undermining actual Catholic doctrine in favor of kind of pop sentiment. Then we have Archbishop Aquila, who did uh, respond directly by name to Cardinal McElroy, and he said that what was presented runs the risk of watering down the gospel, getting rid of the call to repentance, and really then only being able to offer people a kind of cheap grace. And finally, Bishop Thomas Prockey of Springfield, Illinois, he uh, criticized this ambiguous sort of listening um, that, that seeks to sort of replace the bishop's role in guiding the church with a kind of sort of parliamentary uh, procedure that Pope Francis has warned about that the Synod um, is not ultimately about. So definitely 
Uh, a lot of responses, a lot yes. of conversation generated uh, on, on this issue as we head towards that synthesis document of the North American continental stage. Right. And I think you also see the leaders of the Synod uh, of Bishops in Rome beginning to try to pull this in and, and, and assure that this isn't doctrinal, that it's listening. Uh, Cardinal Tobin uh, here in the United States also said that, uh, you know, he, he said the Synod isn't about dramatic changes. It's supposed to be this process of listening. And that's really what the Holy Father has also said. So there's a lot to watch for um, in the coming months, but also to go to ncregister.com and uh, read what Jonathan Liedel has written, also the pieces that we've carried um, from commentators as well. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, Matthew and I will speak with the Register's new editor-in-chief, Shannon Mullen. This is Register Radio. There's more when we return. a century, the National Catholic Register has been moving minds, moving hearts, moving souls, and enriching our readers' lives by spreading the truth of the gospel. Today, that tradition continues with award-winning journalism that goes beyond any secular news service while bringing much-needed light and clarity to the issues and events that affect you and your family's future, all with faithful and courageous reporting guided by the teachings of the Catholic Church. It's more important than ever to join Catholics who depend on the register. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions in my necessity, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and I'm joined by my co-host Matthew Bunsen. So Matthew, Shannon Mullen has been editor-in-chief of EWTN's English Language Service, which is Catholic News Agency for nearly two years. So you and I have known him um, over these years to be a very, a very solid editor. Um, and we knew that before he even came because he worked for 30 years at the Asbury Park Press in New Jersey. Um, doing various roles um, from uh, writing, uh, investigative writing, to editing in those final years. Won awards in journalism, uh, being a Pulitzer Prize finalist, and, and other very important uh, awards. Uh, so it's really a pleasure um, to, to begin to work with Shannon in a new way. Uh, as the Register's Editor-in-Chief, for me to hand over those reins uh, to him. 
in a January 30th interview with uh, Joan Frawley Desmond, uh, Shannon um, mentioned the impact of Mother Angelica, EWTN's founder, on his life. Uh, and it really did pique my interest. So, Shannon, as we welcome you to the show again, I want to start with, you know, what I recently learned through reading the register, <laughs> um, which is just go. how, <laughs> which is just how Mother Angelica had an effect on your marriage and your decision to adopt four children. How did that come to be? Yes, thank you, and thanks for having me on, and congratulations, Jeanette, for your new role as well. Thank you. But uh, yes, Mother Angelica, it's true. Um, my generation is—it's no secret that we were pretty poorly catechized, but we were also spoiled in a way because we had some really amazing Catholic leaders that I grew up with, uh, John Paul II, um, I'm from New Jersey, so uh, Cardinal O'Connor was a big influence on me, uh, Mother Teresa, and Mother Angelica. So uh, my wife and I were married in the late 80s, and, and we started watching her uh, faithfully. And it came at a time in both of our lives, I think, that um, it was a little, for me, I can say it was a little bit of a slap to the back of the head, you know, that, <laughs> that uh, hey, things are happening in, in, in the Catholic faith, in the Catholic Church. You need to pay attention to them. And also, you need to kind of wake up and wise up about what it is that you believe. And are you really prepared to follow Jesus where he wants to, to lead you? So uh, I really give her a lot of credit for posing those kinds of questions to me at a, at a pivotal time in my life and, and really leading me to a more mature, uh, sober Catholic faith, I think. Uh, uh, the other thing that I alluded to in the, in the piece, uh, the interview I did with Joan was uh, my family is blessed with four children, all of whom have been uh, adopted. And uh, for anyone who has been down the the, the path of adoption, uh, even once, it, it 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 there's all sorts of challenges and all sorts of emotional up, ups and downs. And really, again, through that process of of um, growing our family in this way. It was Mother Angelica's example of radical trust in God for God's providence, uh, whether it was a financial hurdle that we were facing or some sort of other obstacle um, in, in numerous, too numerous to mention uh, instances. Her example and her words, uh, Raymond Arroyo's uh, a biography of Mother, all those things really came at a, a pivotal time for us. So I'm, I'm really indebted to her for, for the blessings that have come uh, uh, through, through our children. The idea of trust, uh, I think, probably had a pretty significant hand in your decision to leave where you were for a very long time. You're an award-winning journalist there to come to the Catholic News Agency. Now, of course, you're with the National Catholic Register. What has that transition been like to go from secular press uh, into what can at times be a, a perplexing and, and dazzling uh, enterprise of Catholic media? It, it is, Catholic media is different. Uh, for one thing, there's, there's less of it you know, in the United States. Uh, so coming from the, the secular media world, uh, there's less Catholic media here. 
uh, that that lends itself, I think, to a little bit of insularity. So it's a it's a it's a different environment um, in that way. The other thing is mission is is the big difference I see uh, for EWTN, uh, the National Catholic Register, and Catholic News Agency. They're really primarily evangelistic tools and their means to spread the gospel of the good news of, of, of Jesus Christ. So um, that, that really is obviously different from the uh, media outlet uh, that, I, that I worked for. And, um, you know, we're, we're still after uh, the news and we're after the truth, but we're also uh, looking to spread the, the good news and, and explore the truth of the capital T. Right. So, Shannon, you're moving from what was shorter form journalism, very, very quick, um, you know, get however many, eight, eight stories up a day <laughs> to something a little longer form. Um, it's a return to what you came from. And in short, what are you looking forward to in your time at the Register? Well, first of all, I have to say I'm I'm filling some very big shoes, Jeanette, and, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, and the the staff that I'm uh, joining now is a seasoned staff. It's an award-winning newspaper. Um, it's got uh, fantastic uh, commentators, um, really heavy-hitting commentators, and freelance journalists around the world. So it's a it's a credit to you for handing off Thank this you. team uh, to me, number one. But yeah, there there are two things really that were important to me as a journalist, as a reporter for for thirty years. Uh, one was uh, long, what I would say is long form feature writing, and these are just an in more in depth uh, way of telling, really storytelling, more than news writing, and that was uh, something that was um, I was you know very interested in and and did a lot of. The second thing was investigative journalism was a big part of my the latter half of my reporting career. So uh, in that that's what I can offer, you know, to bring, every editor brings a different uh, set of um, uh, tools or gifts. And so I think those are two things that I can definitely contribute to, to the register. Well, you're a wise leader. You care deeply about your team, and I've watched you work with writers. I love to see you, you know, in the future as, as you're picking this job up now. Just, just work with writers, new and old, um, for for the Register. So, Shannon, I'm thrilled about this moment. I know we'll be hearing a lot more of you here on Register Radio, but for now, I thank you um, for your time today. Thanks so much. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello, and until next week, I pray that God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.